Well, we are uh, launching into week two of a sermon series we kicked off last week called The Unhurried Life. Today, we're talking about finding your rhythm. And so, how many of you had to rush to church today to hear a message on The Unhurried Life? Anybody fall into that category? <laughs> Isn't that ironic? Um, so whether you rushed here, you didn't rush here, we're going to start off with a quick hurry test. Let's just see how fast-paced you are and I am. You ready for it? Okay, it's going to be fairly quick. In theme with our hurried test. Sound good? Okay, five categories. They're, they are saying that we live in a really fast-paced culture and we have a hurry epidemic. And here's just a simple way to see how much you may fall into that or not. Number one, everything is a race. So when you pull up to a stoplight... And you start counting, oh, how many cars in this lane? How many cars in that lane? Then you start looking, how old are the people that are driving these vehicles? What's the make and model? I'm going to get in that lane. And you kind of measure it out. You're ticked off if you guess wrong. Everything's a race. Uh, Alan mentioned last week he does it in the grocery store. I do that too. I'm counting how many people are in line. Then I look at how many items in the car. You begin to multiply that. And I'm really ticked off if I did not consider the fact that they're going to pull a checkbook and coupons out. Oh, who does that still, right? All right. You get a point for that. Sound good? Everything is a race. Number two, multitasking. Are you a big multitasker? Multiple things at one time. Um, the psychologists actually have a name for this. They call it polyphasic activity. You know why they call it that? Because it takes too long to say doing more than one thing at a time. Polyphasic activity. So do you multitask a lot? You're just always doing that. Okay, give yourself a point for that. Number three, clutter. Ooh, uncomfortable, right? How's the clutter factor on your desk, in your office? I won't show you a picture of my home office right now. I would not pass this one. But I'm also, I don't like to work around clutter, so I'll clean my desk. But man, my inbox can be full. There's just so much going on sometimes, right? Or you've got all this work that's piling up. They say an average person has 36 hours of work on their desk each week, and it takes three hours just to sort it. Oh, sorry, Monday's tomorrow. Sorry for that encouraging news for those of you who have to go to work. Um, give yourself a point if clutter is a factor. Um, another one, they call this one sunset fatigue. Sunset fatigue. What does this mean? When you get home, the people who are at home get your leftovers. We could call this leftover syndrome, right? It's the leftover syndrome. But you're also still in a fast pace. They say this can be marked by you're still moving, you're hurrying around. But there's no really reason for it. You're just... You know, you're still going, hurrying around. You start ordering kids around, rushing things, you know. And you're just in this fast-paced mode. And consequently, those around you are not even getting what they would really hope or want from you. You even hurry your kids along. So this race that you do, hey, it's time to take a bath. Let's see how fast you can take your bath. Brush your teeth. I confess, I have done this with my son numerous times. Hey, how fast do you want to take your bath? Uh, what is that about? It's not about him. It's, who, it's about who? Me. All right? I know, we're not doing great on this test, right? All right. One more, love impaired. This one is uh, farther down the list, and this is, they, they describe this one as a diminished capacity of love. When you're hurried, you can begin, if, even for those in ministry, you can begin to resent those you're called to minister to. The interruptions. Because there's a diminished capacity that's happening. So, have you ever sensed that in yourself? There's a good chance that, you know, we live in L.A. 
that we all have probably experienced that. And depending where you're at on the scale this morning, you may be somewhere along the curve, somewhere in there. We are in a fast-paced culture. Um, We're hurried. A lot of people are busy. They are burdened. And there's something that comes with this. When we are a culture like this, and we think of following the way of Jesus, two things will come into play. One, it begins to feel unattractive. For those who also who've never pursued or even looked into what it means to follow Jesus, it feels really unattractive. There's this sense that my life is maxed out. If I have one more thing to do, I can't do that. If I come to Jesus, he's going to drop all these unrealistic expectations on me. Do this. Don't do that. Go on this trip. Serve me in this way. And all of a sudden, you feel like, man, there's going to be a list of things I can't keep. Do this. Don't, I, I, don't know, I, don't, I can't do it. And if you feel like it's unrealistic and you cannot do it, it's not just unattractive. It feels impossible. And you're like, I, I just will never measure up. So you always feel like you'd be failing. Who wants to step into something you feel like you're failing at? So there's this misconception that that is the life that Jesus calls us to. The whole premise of this series is that Jesus did not live like that, and he doesn't ask for that. There's something markedly different about Jesus and the way he lived. And this is what Alan kicked off with last week, which is Jesus was an unhurried Savior. Now, all you have to do is begin to look in Scripture, look through that lens. And you see it pop up all over the place. Remember when he was 12 years old? Parents are freaking out. Why? I can't find him. Where'd he go? There's a lot of people here. And just like panicked parents do, they're hurriedly looking for him. Where do they find him? Oh, he is unhurried, hanging out at the temple, and just asking questions of the teachers of the law. Like, what are you doing, Jesus? Where were you? I'm at my father's house asking questions to the teacher of the law. Where do you think I'd be? Uh, Oh, the son of God is my son. I forgot. Okay. Uh, (laughs) But do you see, even at 12 years old, he's got this unhurried aspect of who he is. Not stressing out. I loved how Alan pointed out that Dallas Willard described Jesus with one word, which is relaxed. Such an amazing thought. When he's going and doing ministry, demands are everywhere, an interruption comes in. On this interruption, several times you'll see this, like with Zacchaeus. He stops everything, and he goes and has a meal at his house. Why Zacchaeus? Why not everybody else? Or why don't you just keep ministering to the many? But there's something going on. He's following a different rhythm, and he goes and he ministers. When he teaches, his teaching examples even feel unhurried. He'd say things like, you can build your house on the sand or on the rock. If you build it on a rock, you've got to dig down deep and lay a foundation. That's unhurried workmanship. Talks about vines and branches. Growth takes time. In his teaching examples, they're unhurried. You see it in his ministry with people. His closest followers were his disciples. He would develop them. At the end of their Jesus' ministry on earth, before he gets crucified, 
raises from the dead and ascends to heaven. His disciples fail him again. Peter fails him miserably three times. After the ascension, Jesus physically appears again, reinstates Peter on the shore, basically looks at him and says, Peter, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. Remember, you love me. I love you. Now go and minister on my behalf. Doesn't scold them. It's not a finger pointing. It's not I told you so. There's a different character that marks Jesus. He reinstates Peter. And what do you see in that? There is even an unhurried development of people. He's not rushed in that. How often are you and I so dissatisfied with our own maturity in Christ? I should be faster. <laughs> you know, and we get, I get down on myself. We can all get down on ourselves with that. There's an unhurried Savior behind this. He's the author of time. He is not subject to it. He's an unhurried Savior. Now, this is our backdrop. So, what would an unhurried Savior say to us in this culture? Well, it's the same thing he's been saying for centuries. This morning, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 11 because he extends an invitation. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This is a portion of Scripture only found in the book of Matthew. The people Jesus is speaking to, they're burned out. They are stressed out. When they hear religious leaders talking about the way of God, what they hear are hundreds of regulations and rules. It's hard to remember them, let alone keep them. So in a system like that, you always feel like you're failing, always should be doing something, and this is the audience that Jesus is speaking to in Matthew 11. So it's a great audience because we often have that, that same lens. Our own false perceptions will creep into that. But this is what Jesus says, and this is him describing the Christian life in a nutshell. You ready for it? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Isn't that good already? Everybody just take a deep breath. That is exactly what that verse does. It's disarming. It's unexpected. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I don't want to ask you for something. I want to give you something. I extend my rest. Isn't that attractive? We don't believe it, but it's true. Come to me. This little phrase is a great one because the invitation is to is, is not this. It's not with a condition. Come and clean yourself up, and then when you come to me, I'll give you rest. After you clean up your messes, I will come and have relationship with you. The reality is, is that we cannot clean up our own messes. We're the sick. He's the doctor. He cleans us up. So come to me. So it's not with a condition, and it's also a call to a person. It's the person of God. He's not saying, come to my teachings. Come to a church. Come to marry my mother. Come to whatever. He's saying, come to me. So you have a personal invitation by the God of the universe. He says, 
You don't need to run to anything else. You have free access to me because I paid the price and paved the way. Come to me. Then he says, all who are burdened, heavy laden. Well, doesn't that speak our language? Burdened and heavy laden. Weary and burdened. We are wearied by our pace. We get wearied by our own faults, don't you? Wearied by our own expectations and other expectations. Wearied by our to-do lists. So this is a, what I want you to catch here, this is a universal invitation. If you sit here today and you don't even know who Jesus is, there's a universal invitation being extended. Come to me, all. Everybody say all. All. That's who the invitation's to. You qualify. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest is the starting place. Catch this. He's not first asking for a bunch of things. It's not an assignment. It's not a to-do. It's not, I want you to memorize this verse. It's not something to give. I want to give you, out of who I am, my rest. The idea behind this I want you to catch, he's not trying to use you. He wants to walk in relationship with you. Doesn't this really sound inviting, actually? This is good. Are you even sensing, even as I read these verses, doesn't it kind of relax you? That is the heart of God. You're sensing who he is. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. You know the yoke between two cattle or two ox? They can walk alongside of each other. They share the load. That is the picture he says, I'm with you. Listen, you're in relationship with me. And even when you go off and you're doing work, you're not, I don't send you off. I'm with you. I don't ask you to carry the burden of the kingdom. I bury the bur- or carry the burden. And I, you get to walk with me. So intimate is this walking. And, and he just says this. And the person walking next to you, he says, for I'm gentle. I'm humble of heart. That's his character. Is that how you picture God? Gentle. Do you have a, an image of a stern God in a black robe with a disappointed look? If you do, it is a false picture. When you are in Christ, you come to Jesus. He has paid all the price for our sin. You look through the lens of love. You're a dearly loved child. He is gentle. Stern words in your head that you may think are from God. Examine them through the lens of Matthew 11. I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. Humble. And you'll find rest for your souls. Well, that's rest from expectation. Rest from striving. From trying to clean up your own sin. He goes, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. So this yoke you have on, don't worry, it's not even heavy. It's light. My work, if you're with me, it's actually easy. Is easy and light two words you would ever use to describe the Christian experience of walking with Jesus? Because that's how he designs it. 
So false images of what it is should just be that, false images. Jesus is giving you a visual image through this metaphor of what the Christian life looks like. It's easy and light. If you're in school, that is a class you will sign up for. Oh, that one, easy and light. Okay, got it. Take that one. So let's... So this is the invitation from Jesus, and he said part of this invitation included the idea of learning from me, so we want to do that this morning. Let's learn from him. I'm going to give you three observations in just his unhurried rhythm as we look at his life. Learning from Jesus, the secret to his rhythm. Now this Jesus, as you know, he was not frantically running around freaking out that has never been his MO. Part of the reason is, are these three observations. The first one is he knew the Father's love. He knew the Father's love. Another way of saying it, he had approval. He had acceptance. He had love. That is something innately designed in all of us, and we will all chase it. We're designed for that. When we're starved from that, we will do whatever we have to to find it. Because there's something within us, in our design, that we are called to be loved. And we're called to love. Jesus was so secure in his love and being loved, he had no reason to frantically hurry and chase that. It slowed him down. He's fully God, right? When he became a man, fully man, where he sets aside like the omniscience, all-knowing, says he had to grow in wisdom and stature and training in the Lord. He had to model this way of walking with God. One of the greatest things he had to learn is that he is a deeply loved son. He knew the Father's love. My son, when he does something new, Dad, did you see this? Mom, did you see what I just did? Why? Because everyone has an innate desire to be noticed, to be seen, valued, appreciated. So do we. Alan pointed this out last week in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. It's too important not to mention again. Look at this scripture. Luke chapter 3. This is right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. This is not a baptism where he's getting remission of sin. This is a baptism into ministry. It's a public demonstration. There's a different kind of baptism seen in Scripture. This is a different type. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. Whoa, that is a different baptism, right? Heaven. I love how the Bible is just so matter of fact. As he's being baptized, heaven's opened. Right. <laughs> Like heaven's just opened. Then it goes on. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. A physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit coming out of the open heaven and coming on Jesus. Unreal. I would love to have seen that moment. And if that is not enough to say that I am behind you and I'm with you, The voice of the Father comes. A voice from heaven came and says, You are my son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. 
It's a voice that's saying, I love you. You are my son. And always know that I am pleased with you. Before he ever started ministry, before he began healing, raising the dead, preaching a sermon, he knew the Father's love. This is a critical engine for the unhurried life, a life that Jesus modeled. You see it in John 17, verse 24. Jesus said this, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. So he's talking about us. He wants all of us. I want them to see it. The glory you've given me because you love me. What's the next word? Before. You love me before the creation of the world. There is a love that has been ongoing here and it's secure. There's no sense this is being taken away. The life accelerator is this. I am what I do. If we believe that, it will speed you up. The more that I do, the more that I am, because I am what I do. That will accelerate you. Because value and acceptance is defined through that lens instead of the lens of acceptance of the approval of God. It's one of the greatest things a parent could teach a child. It's one of the greatest things that we can reflect on. So when Jesus invites us, come to me, he is inviting us into the exact same kind of love that the Father demonstrated with him, that he demonstrates with us, that when we come to him, is a love that is so secure. You don't have to wonder if it's here today, gone tomorrow, if it's diminished a little bit because of your sin. It doesn't diminish, it doesn't fade, it doesn't go away, it is consistent, and it's secure. He knew the Father's love. Second observation is this, he gave the Father time. He gave the Father time. Mark 1.35 said this, very early in the morning, any morning people? How many of you have never seen morning? <laughs> very early in the morning while it was still dark so he defines very early uh, <laughs> just because he knows his audience will define that very differently very differently very early in the morning while it's still dark Jesus got up he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed is that an amazing picture how often have you given Jesus time like that? You ever had it where the Lord wakes you up? You go be with him? Sometimes that's just an invitation from the Father. Sometimes we just know I want to be with him. and You make a, an appointment to watch the sunrise with him. Remember my wife, she used to talk about that back when we were dating. Just one of these things, she loves to be with the Lord. But getting away, lonely places, solitary places. The other verse is Luke 5, 16, and you see how he gave the Father time, and he defines this. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. Is there an often built in in your life? Is there any time where you're unplugged? Anybody have iPhones in here right now or smartphones? I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's a, 
a do not disturb function on it. Or you can leave it in your car. There's no rule that says you have to always be reachable. Because Jesus modeled unreachable moments. You cannot be available to listen to the Father and listen to everyone else at the same time. There's got to be some place that it's okay to be unreachable. I love how he models early morning because it's easier before once the day is going. Good luck, right? There's something wise in that. It says he'd go out and he would pray. What is prayer? Well, it's talking to God, right? That's true. Do you know there's another aspect of prayer that it's so easy for us to miss? It's not just talking, it's also listening. Because it is relationship. So when Jesus went and he'd spend unhurried time with the Father, he wasn't just talking the whole time, you know, God, you know, and never stops. A lot of times we have this autopilot in prayer where we talk, 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 amen, close, and off you go. Wouldn't that be an awkward relationship? Have you known people like that? They're done talking. Well, hey, it's so good to hang out with you. Okay, awesome. All right. You're such a great, thank you. I feel so connected. Oh, okay, great, good. You never said anything. Just sat there. That is not the picture that God gives. So, a couple observations. He knew the Father's love. He gave the Father time. The third thing, he followed the Father's voice. Because of those two things, this set him up for this third one. He followed the Father's voice. How many voices were always demanding Jesus' attention? Lots of voices. How many people had an opinion of what he should do? Everybody. Even his closest followers. So what you catch, he didn't listen to every voice demanding his attention. He didn't chase approval ratings. He was often surprised. Actually, no, his disciples were often surprised by the choices he would make. Because he would surprise them by what he would do. Now, he unpacks this idea of following the Father's voice in John chapter 12, verse 49. I'll put it on screen here for you. It says this. For I didn't speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say, what's the next word? All that I've spoken. I know this, that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say, I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Now this, this describes an incredible experience. You're like, well, that seems so out of reach. I don't understand that. Was the voice that opened, when heaven opened and spoke at his baptism audibly, is that the same voice that was speaking to Jesus everywhere he went? Stop here, son. Heal that person. Go here. Say this. It's nothing everybody could hear, right? There's no picture of that in the New Testament. There is a sense, it's almost like you have a radio station. He's just tuning in. There's something where his spirit and the spirit of the Father were connecting. The Holy Spirit leading and directing him. He knew what to do. He's got this whole pattern of life of connecting with the Father. You just saw it. He gave him time. He knows what that feels like and looks like. So now as he's out and about, and even in the midst of loud crowds, he can pick it up. He can discern it. 
Do you have space to listen, to learn to listen, so that when you are in more hurried places, you can still discern? There are going to be a lot of voices. We have our own voice that will speak. Often comes from our own desires. The Bible calls it your flesh. Sometimes it gets out of control. Wants things it shouldn't have. Or in the timing it shouldn't have. We have a lot of other people's voices and expectations always on us. You may still be living to achieve some of those from your childhood. Running after things that you are not not even designed to run after. Other voices. There's a real enemy, an enemy of God, enemy of all his children. And his enemy and his demon kingdom will attack. And scripture says they will attack you with voices as well. Voices in your mind, thoughts. Those voices and the attacks of the enemy, they just come in thoughts like, gosh, you shouldn't do this. And it's, you've got to just begin to discern it. Well, that could be me, it could be the enemy. Whatever it is, you put it through the lens. It's not even critical you define where it came from. You define what it is. But I'll give you a couple classic things the enemy does. He will always question the character of God. Always. Subtle ways. You see it all the way back in the garden. Did God really say? So subtle. He also wants you to hurry past God's timing, God's provision. Speed you up. In Luke chapter 4, you see this modeled by Jesus. The enemy comes and does two things. There's a subtle attack on the character of the Father, and there's a temptation to speed him up. Classic enemy attack. And in Luke 4, one of the first ones, Jesus has been led out there by the Spirit before he even goes fully public with his ministry, and he's been fasting for 40 days. He's 40 days hungry. So when this first temptation comes, it's a real good temptation. And the enemy basically says, says, the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell the stones to become bread. You're God. Make some food. And in verse 4, Jesus can, without batting an eye, just say, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. Why? Because he knows the voice of the Father. He's walked with it. And this voice, is he's studied the Old Testament. He knows that's his father's words. And he can be led to just say it. He can discern it. He's following the father's voice. When the enemy tempts him again, hey, look at all the kingdoms of the world. You can have these. You're going to have full authority. I can give it right now because when sin came in, I got that authority. But listen, just bow down and I'll give it all to you right now. Hurry up. You need to listen to your father to make you go through all that pain give it to you right now he says it's written in verse 8 you should worship the lord your god only and then you see this other picture he takes him to the top of the temple in jerusalem amazing picture satan and jesus on the top of the temple and he says throw yourself off you've got angels they'll catch you don't you just want to be known make yourself known we couldn't be in more public spot just do it right now you'll be known They'll know who you are. He says it's written in verse 12, don't put your Lord God to the test. He knew the voice of the Father. So when enemy voices came in, he could deflect that. He knew how to do it. But being able to do that, it's really hard to learn to listen to God 
at a hurried pace all the time. It's hard to hurry up and listen, right? So did you catch those observations of Jesus? He knew the Father's love. He gave the Father some time regularly, and he followed the Father's voice. How do we apply this, and how do we begin to take steps moving at a more unhurried pace? I'm going to try and capsulize this in two simple thoughts. Okay? An unhurried life, two essentials. The first one we'll say is this. And this is where you begin to examine your life. First one is this. It's the right pursuit. The right pursuit. We can all pursue things in life. We all do pursue things in life. Henry Nouwen put it this way. There are three false pursuits. And all these pursuits are going to accelerate your life. And listen to the three that he said that we could have. One is, we are what we do. Right? We touched on that one earlier. I am what I do. So the more that I do, the more that I am. That's a life accelerator. That's a temptation. I am what I do. I am what I possess. So what are the things that I have? If I get more things, I'm more valuable. So if you're driven to get more things and possess more things or bigger things or better things, and that is what your value is based on, it's a shaky foundation, especially when an economy shakes, and it will accelerate your life to work harder, work longer to achieve those things. It speeds you up. I am what I do. I am what I possess. And the third thing he mentioned is I am what others say about me. I think this is a timely one, especially in our generation. We live in a social media generation. It's, it can be an awesome tool, a great thing. It can be a lot of fun. But there's something within it we've got to be very careful with. How tempted are you to look? Well, how many likes do I have? How many friends? Do I have more friends? There is, uh, there's been articles on this where studies have been done on people who spend a lot of time in social media and what it does to your mood. So whether you're on Instagram or Facebook, uh, Times did one on Facebook last year, and the article is called Why Facebook Makes You Feel Bad About Yourself. <laughs> Basically, the short thing in this, this article, it said two things. There's two reasons. One is because of comparison. You're sitting at home. It's a Friday night. You're looking at everybody's highlights. And you're sitting in one of your lowlights. Everybody's having a great time. Not me. I'm sitting here. You know, flipping through. Comparison. Because we're not usually comparison, comparing our highlights with other highlights. It's just your mind goes to comparison. The second danger is lack of attention. Oh, I should have more attention. I thought they'd be... Oh. And so the danger is we can really begin to fall into the third temptation that Nouwen was mentioning, which is we are what other people say about us. Do you struggle with any of those three? I am what I do. I am what I possess. I am what others say about me. Really, the question we have to ask is where on the scale do we keep falling? What's your greatest temptation? Because it's, it's my temptation. It's all of our temptation. So the right pursuit. Those are false ones. What, the right one is what the invitation Jesus gave. And he says it in another way. 
And this is in John 15, verse 15. Take a look on the screen. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. What's he saying? My relationship with you is going to be more intimate. I'm not just giving you orders, go do these things. I want to do life with you. Instead, I called you friends. There's a friend request for you right there, right? (laughs) For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. That's how intimate this relationship is. The servant aspect, he's not calling us to work for him first. Sure, he's going to call us. We're going to go do things on his behalf. He is first calling us to relationship. That's always been his driving factor, always his motivation. He's not dependent if we did this or didn't do that today. He'll use us. We'll get to be a part of it. He's bigger than that. He wants friendship. This is the hard thing to understand about God, who is so big, all-knowing, yet so intimate. He wants friendship. That is the right pursuit. Several weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go fishing with my son. We were on vacation up in the Sequoias. It was really an awesome time. We had a great time. You'll see him here in a second. There he is fishing. Look at him go. Now, he wanted to go fishing. I don't know how to fish. Uh, I've gone fishing with others, but I'm always with somebody who knows how to tie the stuff on the end of the line. So, sure, I know how to fish. I've gone fishing. I didn't know what in the world I was supposed to do, so I, I started watching YouTube videos. Oh, there's a leader. The leader? What does a leader do? Okay, this is how you tie it on. So I figured it out. So I spent the night before figuring that out, tying, setting up those lines, and we go out there, and we begin fishing, and that's five hours. That took five hours right there. Can I just say that? That was five hours to catch that guy. Um, There he is. That's our big catch right there. Um, But it was so much fun. We're learning how to cast. We're going for it. Uh, It was an awesome time out there just hanging out. Um, but there's something really unhurried about it. He was so excited to learn this, so excited to do it. I was moderately interested. <laughs> but you know what's fun about it? I cared more. I liked it because he liked it. And I liked it because I got to just hang out in a different way with him than we're used to hanging out. And so in times like that, you just talk about things you don't even normally talk about or whatever, or you watch, you learn new things about his personality, how he does things, what he thinks, or how he, what he does, that's just fun. It was a great thing. He loved it so much, he's like, next day, we're going back. So we did this again for two days. We went fishing and just hung out. I show you that picture because that is an, a great picture of a kind of relationship that God looks for. When you love it, like even in the New Testament, Peter's there fishing. Sometimes he'll show up in fishing scenarios. Hey, how you doing? Actually, try the net on the other side. And he winks and, psh, hey, oh, wow. Huh. Right? Hanging out with Jesus. That is the right pursuit. You know, in the Matthew 11 chapter, he says, I'm gentle, I'm humble of heart. You don't go fishing with a judge in a black robe, right? But you'd fish with a friend. You see the image that God wants us to have of him. It's more inviting. Isn't it easier to be so open about your life with someone that you know has your best interest in mind and really loves you and wants to know you. 
That's the right pursuit, that kind of relationship. Any other pursuit will accelerate our lives because we are not called servants. We are called friends. There's nothing to earn. The right pursuit. The second essential is this. It's the right pace. It's the right pace. You know, you cannot develop that kind of relationship without certain things in there. Uh, you can't hurry up and go deep. You can't hurry up and be super close. There's a pace in it. And there's a couple secrets that the Bible lays out for this. And I think this is, this is a great one. Still, this challenges me a lot. This whole message challenges me. I am fast-paced by general. I think fast. I want to move fast. So this is, this is a much-needed message for myself. But this part of the pacing is a really key aspect to understand because it's really helping to begin to reshape how I think about walking like this with Jesus. And it comes from the idea of a Sabbath rest. Now, the Bible talks about this idea of getting away and resting and what, how that should set you up, but there's a way to approach it and what that looks like. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 through 11, it's going to mention this Sabbath rest. I want to read these verses and comment on it. It says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So this Sabbath rest, what is it? There is a way to do a Sabbath rest. It says we have to rest from our work. But I want to show you some observations from Scripture about this Sabbath rest. This Sabbath rest began in the creation account. God creates, 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 then it says God rested. But he does something. He creates man, creates woman on day six. What's the next day? Rest. What's the first thing? Oh, rest. When you look at um, how the Jewish people have looked at and calendared their days, when is the beginning of a new day in the culture? sunset right after the sun goes down that's a new day the sun doesn't start when the sun comes up or the day doesn't start when the sun comes up it start when starts when the sun goes down why because our first duty is rest isn't that fascinating we look at it so different our day starts when that alarm goes off snooze snooze i'm late rushing around brushing your teeth, trying to get out of the door, you know, all that stuff. Such a different picture of a day. There's always this design that rest starts at the beginning of the week. Why Sunday, the first day of the week? The day of rest. Because there's a mindset that is to go into the rest of our week. It is a Sabbath mindset that follows us. That, what does that mean? A lazy mindset? Not at all. What is, what is the Sabbath designed to do? It's designed to give you rest. Jesus defined what rest is. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you 
rest. What is rest? It's that relationship with Jesus. So there's a rest aspect of the Sabbath mindset that is not a tuning out of everything else. There's a tuning in to him as part of that rest experience. That's what it's designed to do. So if you could tune in, you begin to walk with God during those moments on whatever day that is for you that you're going to get some time away that you can tune in to hear his voice. Now you can take that mindset and relationship with God, being in tune, walking together and go into your work and you don't work and then come back and check in with him. You get to go with him, yoked together, listening, following his lead. The rest is designed to set you up for your week because you're now in tune. That's the right pace. So the right pursuit is friendship with Jesus. The right pace is making sure there's moments of rest, not just rest, sleeping, rest, doing something filling, and that's a great part of it. I need that. But part of this rest is a tuning in. Now I'm going to give you something to be aware of. This takes effort. Rest takes some work. Um, Because we have this mindset of we will drive, 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 work, 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 and then mind-numbing escape, right? The Sabbath rest is a different mentality that rest is a God-given opportunity to walk in relationship. Work is another God-given opportunity to walk with Him in your day. But there's another mindset that's going to come with this. And it's hard work because, I don't, I'll just tell you my experience. When I get quiet with the Lord, you know what often surfaces first for me? Accusing voices. Anxious thoughts. You should be better at this. Oh, you could be a better father like this, or a better husband like this. You could be a better pastor like this. Oh, got all these things that oh, I could be, I should be doing this. Anxious thoughts. The danger of anxious thoughts can lead to autopilot anxious response where you run ahead of the Lord. Temptation, right? So what happens? I don't can you relate to this? You ever get that? You get quiet, and then all of a sudden it's your mind starts firing and all these triggers, wherever those thoughts are coming from, what do you do with that? Good, turn it off. Let's go do something fun, <laughs> right? You ever done that? Like, oh, that's, this is not working. Let's go have fun. Uh, go do something else. Part of what this is, there's a Sabbath rest time. This is why rest will take a little work. Those thoughts, it's, okay, it's like purging. You let them come and you bring those to your best friend. The wisest person who ever lived and say, help me, what do I think about this? Don't have to ignore it. You get to talk about that. Why am I feeling this? Is this real? How do you want me to see it? You may not even get a quick response. But you begin to unload that to him. Give him your anxious thoughts. Pretty soon you realize, I have anxious thoughts, but I'm not my anxious thoughts. I have accusing voices, but I am not the accused. I'm a dearly loved child. The places I've wandered away from the Lord, I can say I did wander here. Forgive me for it. 
Help me walk in the way with you. And behind all those voices, when they begin to quiet, you begin to hear an affirming voice of the Father who says, I love you, and you are secure in me. That's why sometimes I use worship music just to get back into the space like that. That's a Sabbath rest mindset that can set you up for your week. That's the right pace. Do you see how it kind of even just slows you down hearing about it? So guess what? You're not weird if it takes work. That's normal. But there is a right pursuit that's achievable at the right pace that's designed for us. When we walk outside of that design, we accelerate. It's really key. Show you one more picture, because you'll remember these pictures probably more than the words. This is my son, Home Depot. Depot. We're making a bug cage that has been put to great use, I can tell you. Okay, now he's making this little thing. We're just working together, building it together. This is the picture of Matthew 11, yoked together. Now that you're walking in this right pace, the Sabbath rest mindset, when you go into your work, it's like Jesus is with you. How would he have responded to this conflict? How would he deal with that anxiety? How's he going to respond to that email? How's he want you to respond to this? How's he want you to think about this next decision? Does that make sense? That he doesn't send you off? It's, he's inviting this relationship to be a 24-7 one. Where you get to be with him. Imagine if you, before the start of your day, there's some place where you could slow your mind down to make sure you're still in that rest before you rush off. You can use your drive to work or drive to wherever you're driving after you drop your kids off or whatever that's going to be. That's the right pace. Does this sound inviting? Does this sound achievable? Well, it is because... He's designed it like that. So I want to take a moment and let's turn in an unhurried way. Let's talk to the Father. Talk to Jesus. And I just want to invite you just be still for a moment. This should be a great time. Just take a, you get to take a breath. And I'm going to invite you to just go before the Lord. I learned something in uh, kindergarten that still helps me. It was a first hymn that I ever learned. It was called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I still sing that little hymn. I think that hymn is a great reminder the kind of relationship he looks for. This idea of what a friend that we have in Jesus. All of our sins, our griefs to bear. And what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace. We often forfeit the needless pain that we bear. All because... We don't carry everything to God in prayer. It's a great picture of that invitation. Powerful picture.
you're quiet right now, I want you to just invite you to close your eyes and I just want you to think about the Lord and the picture that he has painted in Matthew 11 for us. And I want you to listen for his invitation. Are you burdened? Have you had a false picture? Have you had other pursuits? Just confess that. I have, Lord. I've chased these things. And right now you just say, I'm chasing you. I'm chasing you. Listen to his words. You tired? Are you worn out? You burned out on religion? Well, come to me. Get away with me. You will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy on you. I won't give you anything ill-fitting. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So Jesus, we uh, come here and we accept your invitation. We want to go to unhurried places with you. Go fishing with you. Take a drive with you. Find quiet moments in our schedule with you. Ask you to discern our own thoughts and help us to tune into your thoughts. Remind us of your word. It's so true. It's our anchor. Share your heart. Would you help us all, Lord, in this room to avoid false pursuits? And we say we want the right pursuit. That's you. Teach us how to move at a better pace, a right pace. Extend that. Just invite you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, today you're hearing the character of the one you're, who's calling you. He paid the price for your sin. That's no greater love. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. And to this morning, his invitation is being extended to you. So he says, come to me. So you come to him. You don't have to clean yourself up. You bring him your mess. And you just say, I give you myself. Would you forgive me? I want to learn to walk with you. I follow. You've done that. You've already started relationship with the king of the universe. And he will walk with you. 
and he is gentle and he's humble of heart. So let's enjoy that. We're going to continue to worship this morning. Respond and worship with this. We'll give our offerings as we do it too. Just out of our overflow, walking with God, we give back as he pours in. So Father, take these gifts in worship. Our offerings, um, our voices, our praise, the posture of our heart as we worship. Would you look at that and honor the fact that we come here, we're saying clean our hearts, we confess what you want, and we thank you for this invitation. We worship you in Jesus' name. Ushers, come forward and you can stand up and let's, let's worship. You know, uh, walking with God is not something ever designed to sap your life. When you truly walk with God, He gives you life. That's the nature of walking with Jesus. He will give you rest. One thing that uh, Jesus said, and He praised His Father for, that He hid His wisdom from the wise and the learned, but He revealed it to little children. There's a couple qualities in little children. One thing that you'll notice is that they are rarely in a hurry, right? They can be engrossed in the simplest of things. Second thing you'll find is that they always want to hang out. Isn't that a great picture? Rarely in a hurry. Always wanting to hang out. What if we experienced more of that this week? Aren't you feeling a little more refreshed just coming to church today? That's designed to move on and continue. So, Father, would you do that? Would you extend your grace to continue to walk with you, not ahead of you, not behind you? You're our pursuit. Teach us new rhythms. Teach us how to walk in your pace. So what a gift to sit at your feet today, to come into relationship with you today. We want to move from this place with a Sabbath rest mindset into our week you do that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we will see you next week. Mike will be here. We'll be kicking off the Genesis Chronicles. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.